Nicole, can you talk? Um, Nicole is talking. <laughs> okay. What do you want me to say when you say that? Like, can you talk? It just, it just made me laugh too because last week Smith was like, I, I don't know what you want me to say. And today you go, <laughs> like, you just Nicole like put us on talking. the spot and you're like, please just, just start shit. singing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> being a serious <clears throat> welcome back to another episode of the health unfiltered podcast the gang is here in full force and already full of laughs and today we are joined by a special guest kirsten screen how are you i am great how are you guys good, good. we're good i guess <laughs> i'm already having a good time we haven't even started <laughs> rose so like about to combust <laughs> It's okay. We're okay. (laughs) So I'm going to do Kirsten's intro. Um, So I'm very, very thankful for this friend and colleague that we met. Um, We met a couple years ago, but our friendship has developed and I'm very thankful for you. Um, Kirsten earned her Bachelor of Science in Human Nutrition and her Master of Public Health, both from the University of Florida. She has over 20 years of experience in the field of nutrition, health education, and fitness. But you don't look like you have 20 years of experience. (laughs) I hate when I have to put that 20 years. I'm like, God, how old am I? (laughs) (laughs) You have that going for you. It's working. Whatever you're doing with health, nutrition... And, you know, education. Drink your water, people. So as I say, it's all that water. It's all the water. And some sunscreen. That's it. (laughs) The secrets. Kirsten um, also works with people doing one-on-one coaching. She helps busy, active adults reach performance and body comp goals. Yeah. So good stuff. I love it. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm excited to be here. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Yes. I got to get close to my mic. Get all up in their row. You all have your fancy mics. I, know. I don't have a fancy mic. <laughs> Not a professional you know, like you. I think it's it's really, you know, we got them just so we could feel like we're professionals, even though we're not. So <laughs> you looked the part. Like, yeah, totally we looked, looked the part. part. We're just going to fake it until we make it. Mm-hmm. It's good um, for people. That's Franklin. the plan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a tax write-off. <laughs> sure is how are you guys doing how was your how was your week since we last talked what are we drinking how's it going silence <laughs> i was like is it been one of those i'm drinking that water see i'll answer your question i'm drinking that water in the form of tea today i'm very boring you guys it's literally water and tea because it's close to my bedtime this is how you don't look your age because you go to bed i'm a fan of of tea yeah kirsten where are you at right now you're i am in uh just south of uh charlotte charlotte north carolina oh okay so you two are relatively close you and brooke yeah. then mm-hmm. we are nice mm-hmm. very fun um well i do have a beverage i made some exciting mold wine Ooh. oh you made so, it but you you um, made it uh, I mean, there's like, you can buy all the spices like together and then all you do is add a bottle of wine and let it simmer for a minute. <laughs> so um, you should have stretched yeah, that out. Made... You should have said you came up with all of it. Yeah. And you picked <laughs> oh, things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And... Well, I did kind of like look up 
because I think it's from the European uh, places, <laughs> and um, they used to make it because um, it would like oh, what's the word? Oh my gosh! This have is, you been this drinking be for like a couple hours? Um, <laughs> no, I just made it. Um, it like... would like reap like the apple harvest would be really plentiful the coming year. Wow. Interesting. Wow, plentiful for the pilgrims. Yes. <laughs> How could we forget? Back well, in the, the Europes. In the Europes. Well, I tried. I tried to. You know. Um, I tried to get some history in this, and it just didn't go well. Whatever. Okay. I'm like, I'm having a beer that was fermented in 1980. Uh, yeah. Um, what am I drinking? Mass Ascension. IPA, it's an India Pale Ale from Ex Novo. I had one of their things, one of their drinks a couple weeks back. It was good. So the, the can is like very colorful and it's really cool. Like it. So that's that's and why that's I got it. Yeah, I know, right? I know. I'm like, this looks good. And then I drink it and I'm like, okay, we'll do it for the podcast. But it looked pretty. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Same way I got my girlfriend. Crazy, huh? They- <laughs> <laughs> Lots of substance oh, there, I'm Kidding sure. In case you love you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, definitely How are you not single decisions. yet? I don't know. <laughs> you know, every time, every every week it's something, she'll listen to the podcast and she'll come and be like, Literally. so it's that, huh? And I'm like, all right, you need to stop listening. I'm going <laughs> to, this is getting really. Like, do you have to fight for at least 24 hours after an episode airs? I don't know if it's 24 hours, together. but it is for like an hour. Remember that comment you made last week, Nicole, where you were like, Roll is out hoeing her on, and I was like, "What? Oh shit!" So like, <laughs> I'm laying in bed. She's lifting, and she calls, and she's like, "Hoeing around, huh?" And I was like, "I don't really okay, know. For, I don't know what, like, was, what she did, was talking I about." I did not need to like put that out there for anyone to know that who knew you during that time. Okay, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. See, I edit out your bad stuff, but it's fine. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, the beer is pretty good. In case anyone was wondering, it's Mass Ascension's India Pale Ale. So nice, Brooke. What's in your I'm, fancy cup? I'm also being kind of boring. I made well, not really. I made my electrolyte mocktail. It's one of my favorites. It's plain coconut water, juice of half of a lime, and then you just do a little sprinkle of salt. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Hydrating. I'm hydrating. Hydrating. (laughs) I did. I had, well, I had pizza and Kentucky mules last night, and I don't drink frequently, so I like to space it out. And let me tell you, I was doing doubles of bourbon, and I was like, we're going to hydrate today. That's what we're yeah. gonna do. Is that is that the difference between a, a Moscow mule and a Kentucky mule? Is that you use bourbon? Mm-hmm. Or okay. It's that just bourbon, really lime juice, and ginger beer, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I've never had a Kentucky really mule. We'll have to try that. I feel like bourbon like warms your soul in the winter. Oh, absolutely. It just felt right. It's the only time I feel, you know. Anyway, <laughs> uh what's our topic this week? <laughs> Uh, our topic this week, we are talking all about overexercising and underfueling. And a lot of the times they go hand in hand. So this should be a really interesting conversation for sure. Yeah. I think there's a Before lot of we get started, here, though, we actually personally. do have, yeah, I'm sure we can definitely bring in some anecdotal evidence there. But our we have a question, question of the week. Question. We do. Our yes. question of the week is from Hannah.gip. Uh, this was submitted through Instagram. So definitely send us your questions if you have them and we'll answer them on the podcast. 
The question, I'll let you answer first, Kirsten. What is the best okay. way to holistically heal your gut with food, supplements, etc.? I love this question because we could do like five podcast episodes on this question on the gut alone. Um, but I know you're going to talk to this in a minute too, Brooke. My main thing is always food first with everything because that's what the gut's there for. But what I want to say to before anybody starts throwing stuff at the gut, this is the issue I have with a lot of my clients when they come to me and they're taking 8,000 supplements and supplements have their place. Um, but I got to know what's going on first. So I'm a big fan of, you know, test before we just throw things in the mix and figure out what's going on. I personally use GI map testing with a lot of my clients because I want to know not just, it's not just about the microbiome, but it's also about how is your digestion working and are you absorbing what you're actually eating and where are things going and what inflammation are we dealing with and what's not working the way it should work. Um, my kid actually has a lot of GI things that we've been dealing with since birth. So this is a topic near and dear to my heart, but I like to find out what are we absorbing and what are we not absorbing? Because a lot of the healthy gut microbe versus the unhealthy gut microbe is directly related to whether stuff's sticking where it should, right? So I'm a fan of food first after we figure out what is actually going on. And then we, I do throw in a lot of supplements. I throw in supplements when I know what's going on and what we need. The big thing for me is people are really quick to go to probiotics. And I love probiotics. Mm -hmm. They have a huge you know, role and they do their thing. But I don't like adding probiotics until I know whether we have the good stuff in control with the bad stuff. So we need to re-inoculate. But if there's a whole lot of inflammation going on, and if we're not absorbing, then we're basically putting things in that are not going to stick. Um, so test, put the food in that you need, and then I add the supplements to try to kind of, you know, hit the gaps that we're not being, that we're not able to, to hit with food. Absolutely. That's my short and answer, I, long answer. Well, it's such a crazy topic. You're right. We could podcast we could have a whole gut health podcast and just yep. week after week talk about it uh but if there is a lot of serious gut issues going on you have to understand the underlying cause like you're mentioning before you even begin to like how do you know if you're fixing it um and when it comes to overall gut health in general like what are things you can do to support it um kind of i guess that's not exactly i guess that's kind of the question but not necessarily heal, but how can we support it on a regular basis? And that would be things like probiotic foods, prebiotic foods, fiber, and lots of water. Uh, all of these things regularly included in your diet are a great way to support your gut health and decrease all kinds of risks like colon cancer. So it's really important to pay attention to including these things in your diet. However, if you have some type of acute problem, uh, you're definitely going to need to seek a health professional and go down the route of understanding why you're experiencing these things before you dive in to what should you do about it. Absolutely. Do you yeah. guys have anything definitely to add? A really, definitely a really straightforward answer. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Eat good stuff. Get help when you need it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that um, one thing that we, because I think this has been brought up in a podcast before, but movement is is also something that that um increases gut flora and like uh, increases the health of the microbiome so yes it's definitely about uh eating of course um but also finding some sort of movement that works for you for so for some reason like you know when you when you run a lot sometimes your stomach hurts like maybe that's just not something that you should be focusing on or taking a break from, um, which we'll get into, you know, later when it comes to overtraining and stuff. But other things, you know, like 
even taking daily walks are, are going to really help with uh, your gut health. Um, and from what we know about research, regarding the gut is not a lot, but that movement definitely helps. So whatever it is that you like doing, as long as you are consistent with it, it's gonna it's gonna play a role. So. Awesome. Are you guys ready to dive into our podcast questions? Let's get into it. It's a good one. Let's do it. Let's do All it. All right. I'm going to put you in the hot seat first row. Um, oh you kind of already you kind of already mentioned over exercising. Like what does over exercising or overtraining mean and like what does that look like? Yeah, so I think that that's a a really good question. Um not that there are ever like any bad questions, but you know, people, when they think about like over-exercising or over-training um, or overreaching, these are these are words that kind of get used um, uh, as synonyms, but but they all have their own definitions. So uh, overreaching is something that um, I posted about on Friday <laughs> with that meme of the guy yeeting himself off of that balcony. Um, <laughs> but it is it is something that you can use to uh, elicit strength gains, <clears throat> especially if you are about to compete in something that you know, you need to perform at a really high level. So uh, it's it's really when you're trying to increase the fitness while keeping fatigue like right underneath. Um, but then afterwards, you're supposed to do some sort of deload, right? So that's what overreaching is. Um, overtraining is when you are consistently overreaching to the point where you can't make up for that fatigue. So eventually, if you do too much overreaching, then it kind of leads to overtraining. Uh, and I think it's it's really, it's annoying, but it's also very cool that when you look at the research, um, it, if you ask some people, they'll say that overtraining doesn't exist. And if you ask some, some um, I guess, lay people or normal people or RDs, really anyone, they'll say that it's just that you're under fueling, right? Because theoretically, if you get enough sleep and you get enough food, you really shouldn't be hitting any sort of fatigue. Uh, but in the research, it's, it's really difficult because there's no set way to test what fatigue is. Um, because mentally, you can be like, really done. Like, I hate this. I, I need a break. But your muscle fibers are still firing the way they're supposed to. The neuromuscular junctions are still um, firing the way that they're supposed to. You know, your power output is still very high. Your strength is still very high. So it's kind of like, well, how, in what way are you overtrained? Because is it that like you just need to break mentally or physically you're you're done? Uh, and I think a lot of us have experienced that. And on the other hand, we've experienced being mentally like really ready to go. You know, you're like, oh, this week's going to be awesome. It's a high volume block. I'm going to crush it. And then you get under that bar and you're like, fuck this. This is not <laughs> going to be a good training session. So, you know, it's, it's understanding that fatigue and uh overtraining are is like a it's a very complex thing because there's so many um systems in play when it comes to being able to exercise or train or um perform at a high level so that's why it's really hard for for research to say whether it's a b and c and how long it takes and blah 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 now add in the fact that some people genetically can take a higher beating than other people. Um, some people can run for miles and then just never be fatigued, never be tired. Uh, some people naturally get really bad sleep, so they can't recover. Uh, you add in all of those other factors that come from just being a human, and then it becomes like really, really difficult to really understand what 
overtraining is. So it is a very like personal experience in in my head. Um, but I think across the board, overtraining or overexercising looks like motivation is low, power output is low, or it's affected. Uh, strength is low, and it's affected. You feel especially beat up. Sleep is affected, and your ir- irritability is is very high. Um, so I mean, it, it's again, it's kind of like that, uh, like what I just said about the the gut stuff. Like it's not a straightforward answer because there isn't a lot of really uh, good evidence about all the systems at play. So yeah, that's what that's what overtraining I'm, is. Well, I'm shocked that some people don't think it exists. I. I mean, I definitely feel like it does. And you have people that, especially when it comes to, uh, like when I was in working in the college setting as a personal trainer, you would see Mm -hmm. all the time before spring break, people in there that had no business doing cardio for two hours on the treadmill doing it. And it like, like, so that, I guess that's kind of what I think of is like overdoing it when you haven't worked to like build up the capacity to do that in a healthy way. And you're definitely, most people would pass out all the time. They would drop like flies before spring break because no one was eating and everyone was on the treadmills and like doing all these crazy cardio bunny things and they, for the wrong reasons. And it was kind of crazy. That's the proper way to a, uh, to an eight pack, by the way, it's just <laughs> don't, don't eat don't years eat. of cardio. Yeah. Run all the time. <laughs> totally sustainable uh, yeah, think- too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. But I, I think that that's, that kind of plays into this where it's like, if you can do it for two, three weeks, if you like really wanted to, right? It's not, we all know it's not the best thing, but you can push yourself for a couple of weeks, depending on, like I said, your genetics, how much you're pushing yourselves, other stressors in your life. But, you know, if they came back from spring break and continued to do that, then things are just going to get like much worse. Uh, and I think it's it's good that you mentioned like, it's funny how some people don't think it exists, but you know, I think that that has to do with like the research versus real life. You know, like even if numbers are telling me that like you're still good, if my life is saying like I don't feel good like at all, then you should probably should probably listen to yourself. Which is That's why I, I you guys you guys know those whoop bands? Mm-hmm. What so do you think I, of those? I kind of have a problem with them. So because I, I I get that it gives you some sort of arbitrary score, right? Like, oh, you're at an 80 out of 100 today based on your sleep and recovering, whatever. Um, and I get that it measures HRV, which is, which is a good tool. But also, it's one of those things where you can kind of look at it as, as a double-edged sword because let's say one day mentally you're like not there. And you're like, I don't feel good, right? Mentally you're fatigued. But your band says like, well, you're at a 90 today physically, so it's time to get up off your ass and get to work. Sometimes it's really good because you're like, yeah, okay. Like I am just in my head. I do need to put in work. Physically, I am okay based on ABCD. But on the other hand, that can be a pretty bad thing because like if physically you're okay for a couple of weeks, but mentally you've been having like a really, really rough time, eventually that's going to lead to burnout. Um, and so that's why I call it a double, double-edged sword because it can be a very useful tool, but it can also be pretty detrimental if you're not listening to yourself. So I feel kind of indifferent yeah. towards them because I think that hopefully you've done some work to understand the cues your body is telling you and the feedback and biomarkers you know that your body is giving you. 
that I think should trump whatever a band says or like a computer sure, algorithm, yeah. you know? Yeah. But at the same and which time, is why I understand I say, like, there's some data. Yeah. And, and again, even, even if this thing on your wrist is telling you you're good, but like you said, those biomarkers are saying, Hey, you're not good. Like, what are you going to listen to? What should you listen to? Kind of depends on if you're a lay person or a professional or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think that that's where the rub lies, right? With most people that they know what they probably should be mm -hmm. doing, but are so out of tune with what my body's saying versus what the, you know, the band or the training plan or the meal plan or whatever they're subscribed to, what that's telling them. And they just end up not having any clue of what's actually going on physically and mentally that's giving them their feedback that they need right there in front of them. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. Let's talk underfueling. So flipping the script on nutrition, underfueling or undereating, what are some signs that your body would give you that you could look for? So this is interesting and kind of to play off what Ro just said, it's very individualized, right? Like I can give you a laundry list of these are things that you might see, but like Ro just said, it can vary so much from one person to one person. It can even vary within one person from one week to the next. Sometimes we see some symptoms that are straightforward where you literally just you can't get out of bed. You are fatigued no matter how much you have slept. You cannot recover from whatever activity you're doing, whether that's structured workouts or just your normal day. And that's a huge sign of you're just not fueling enough. But sometimes it's something very subtle, like you might have a skin rash that just can't go away, or you have a hamstring injury that no matter how much you rehab it, it's not getting any better, but you feel totally fine otherwise. Um, and a lot of my sort of beyond weekend, you know, weekend warriors, some of my endurance athletes, these folks that are that are highly trained and do this often, that's usually what I see with them. It's less the fatigue can't get out of bed. It's more the just, you know, pains and little irritations and things that no matter how much they rehab them and try to work through them, they won't go away. So it can it can vary. It can be mood swings. There's a lot of that. Ro mentioned that a minute ago with overdoing it, but from a food perspective and I have three kids. If you don't feed them, they're hangry. But I'm talking about, you know, chronic <laughs> irritability and chronic just mood swings. And you can't deal with with, you know, someone cutting you off in traffic and you're just constantly kind of an, on edge. That can be a huge red flag that your body's telling you you're just simply not getting what you need to support what you're asking it to do. So it varies. How's that for an answer? <laughs> it varies, know, but it's, it's constant generally. It varies and it depends are like my favorite yeah. RD answers. <laughs> Which applies uh, but, to everything with nutrition, you know, it's, it depends. Yeah, and fitness. Some, yeah. I wrote down some that come to mind for me when someone's underfueling, uh, low energy, food cravings, low sex drive, hunger is increased, poor sleep, irregular periods for females, low blood sugar, loss of appetite, difficult seeing your training adaptions and gaining strength or making progress in the gym, mood swings and irritability. But like you mentioned, right, this big list of things, just because you have some of these or one of them doesn't necessarily mean it's actually because of underfueling. A really good example I have is um, just came up with a client recently. Just because you have low energy, it doesn't mean that it's because you're not eating enough. And in his case, it was actually because the when he was eating needed to be tweaked around activity. And that's what fixed the energy. So there's so many different things that could be going on. It's not necessarily just underfueling. So it's something to keep in mind to be aware of. And I think the more tuned you come become with your body and what it's trying to tell you, you'll learn and you'll pick it up. 
Um, and it's definitely, I think, why it's helpful to, if this is something that's happening a lot, to consult like a professional or work with a dietitian or a trainer. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, we, we've talked so much about uh, being in tune with your your signals and stuff. Um, but there's so many times where, and I'll get to this later, where, where people think that they're professional athletes or they think that they're not human and they're like, oh, yeah, like I, I just feel like shit all the time. Right. It's like, yeah, it's probably not a good thing. Right? right. What? Why? You should probably take some time off to figure out how you're supposed to feel, how maybe, you know, even just an extra rest day is going to help you. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where if you've never taken time off or you've never gotten to the point where you've gotten like really hurt, then you're just like training in the red for years. You have zero, zero idea what's going on. Um, and then again, like what you said, Brooke, it's important to get someone who is able to look at what you've been doing and look at it critically and be like, this is not okay, man. Like you are really running yourself into the ground and it's a mystery that you have not already done so. Um, and we see that a lot in our fighters at the performance ranch where everyone just thinks they have to train at a high intensity all the time. Um, and it's because that's their sport, right? And then their fighters are the worst, man. They're, they're the absolute <laughs> worst because their rest days are like, oh yeah, I had a rest day. I'm like, cool, what'd you do yesterday? One for a 10 mile run. I don't think you understand what a rest day is. Um, okay. <laughs> and then so the rest of the week, they're just gassed. And it's like, well, you know, I can't really do this stuff. And oh, my, my session today sucks. So I'm going to go on a run to make up for it. Like you are doing the wrong things. Like you're, you're just digging deeper into one side instead of like backing off and looking at things and being like, oh, okay, I need to, I need to relax a bit. Um, do you, but they do don't you have find- those cues. Do you find, Ro, that with a lot of them, it becomes a mental thing? Like with a lot of my distance athletes, if they're not moving, they failed for the day, right? So like telling them to take an extra rest day is like telling them to fly to the moon. It is so far outside of their scope of understanding that it's it's like, what do you mean I can't take a rest day? It means I haven't done anything today. It means that I'm losing fitness, right? Like every day that they're yes. not moving, they think they're losing fitness. So it's yes. this constant keeping the level up here and never being able to kind of come back down and have that recovery phase and the rebuilding phase. So like you said, they're, they're chronically in the red, but it's a huge mental struggle. I feel to get them to understand that. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can also get addicted to exercise, right? Like you can get addicted to the endorphin high. Um, It can be used as a crutch to run away from things that maybe aren't going well at home or at work. And the only time you feel you're in control, like as someone Mm who uh, has, I guess, suffered from that, I don't know. Uh, you know, there were times where I was like, nothing is going right. I'm just going to go live for four hours. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, those were the only four hours that were great. But eventually it led to like a back surgery because I just never relaxed. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I know that I, I totally agree with you for, for your runners and your fighters. Like that's 100 percent that mm-hmm. if I'm not working, it means mm-hmm. that I lost today. Yeah. Like my the person I'm competing against is working. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but also they're resting when they yeah. need to. Uh, so yeah, I, any, I see this a lot with powerlifters too, um, because I have a client now who went from training pretty much seven days a week. And I was like, you get four days, man, the other two days you can walk and do mobility, but then mm-hmm. one day needs to be just nothing. Yeah. And after about six weeks, he was like, man, this whole resting day works huh? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, 
It's crazy, huh? <laughs> yeah, isn't that weird? It's but Wild. I think they have to experience it. You know, they have yeah. to experience that and getting. It's like the people that say, you know, running's really hard. Well, running's really hard until you get good at running. But same thing with with resting. Resting's really hard yeah. until you get really good at resting, and you have to allow yourself to get to that point. Sunday is my off day, like my my day of I do nothing, and I will find myself even though I just ran you know double digit miles the day before on my long run on Sundays. If I'm driving down the road and I see someone I know running, I'm like damn it, I can't believe they're running. Why am I not running today? Even though I know, like I just ran yesterday, I did all the running, it's fine, it's my rest day, but it's it's just that mental, like you see yeah. somebody else doing something that you enjoy doing, that you work toward, and then it's a struggle of saying, but I, I need the rest day so that I can do this again next week, you know? Yeah. And so, so like I just moved into a, a high high volume block for like the next 16 weeks and I wrote up my program in the past week and on Friday I was like, I can just start today because normally my, my training days and my week start on Sundays. And mm -hmm. I was like, why? Like, I'm excited. Like, I'm pumped. I feel good. I might as well. Um, but I've, I've done this long enough to know that, like, no, you kind of need your two days. Like, I'm getting older. I have a lot of things going on, blah, blah, blah. Um, wait until Sunday. And so this mm -hmm. morning I woke up, like, super ready to go. But yeah. I could have gone on Friday because I was really excited and I wanted to. But I knew that those two days were, like, necessary mm -hmm. and if i was going to survive this week i needed those two days so can definitely uh can definitely what is that uh agree with that or i, I don't know i don't know the word i'm looking you feel for that right i get it you <laughs> yeah, feel, I that. feel that yeah. there we go <laughs> can definitely feel that so Ro, why you kind of touched on it a little bit but why is it important to have that balance and make sure you're incorporating rest days with exercise yeah, so uh, it's kind of what we just talked about, right? If if you're not resting, then your ability to perform takes a really big hit. Um, so Dr. Mike Israel, he I think he started with with or he is a part of um, Renaissance Periodization. He I think he came up with maximum recoverable volume, um, and you know based on based on your genetics, on your training history, on your workload, everyone has a set amount of volume that they can handle uh, daily and then weekly and then monthly. Um, and so obviously the more you train, the more that volume hopefully increases if you're doing it right. Um, but things like getting fired or getting in a, um, an argument with your significant other or just having like a really shitty week takes volume off because it is like a mental stress. So let's say you can normally do 20,000 pounds of volume a day um, and you had a really shitty week, then this week it's 18 or for that day, it's it's 18. Um, and so what we want to do and make sure that we have like balance is make sure that our fatigue never really gets over our fitness. So you recover from fatigue faster than your fitness dissipates. So if we can take those structured uh, times off, then fitness may take it like a little dip, but it means that you can continue on for the next week, three weeks, whatever the training block is. If you don't have that balance and you're training in the red, right, then those gains aren't going to happen as fast. Uh, your training sessions are going to be really miserable because you're consistently just feeling like shit. Um, and then eventually the fatigue will catch up. And so either that means you have to cut your workout that day um, for that week or some sort of injury happens. So being able to balance is really how you make it through your life. 
right? Because so many people look at fitness as a lifelong thing and it should be. But if you're going to go ham for a year and like, yeah, you got abs and you got your total and it was great, but then you just trained so aggressively for that year that it's going to take you two, three, five, ten 10 years, maybe your whole life to recover from it. Then what did you do it for? You know, you didn't balance it in, in a way that was really, really good for you, even at that point, because you could have been stronger. You could have had more mass if you took that rest. Um, so even if you look at it from like a longevity standpoint compared to a short-term standpoint, like the goals are are the same. Um, one, one thing that I think about is like gains is really just a product of effort and time. So if you are consistently putting in effort over a long period of time, then the gains will show up, right? It If you are consistently progressively overloading and things are good, the balance is good, you will get stronger, you will get bigger. Now, it may not happen as fast as you like because of diet, genetics, like all this other stuff. But if you are overtraining, let's say you work out three times a week and you are consistently sandbagging one training session, then you're losing out on theoretically 33% of the gains that you could be doing. Even worse, if you get hurt and have to take a week off, then you missed 100% of that training session. If you have to take a month, a year off, then you missed out on all that time. So it's much better to balance it so that you're underneath the red, you're like floating, it's good for the most part, so that over the next year, five, 10 years, you can look back and be like, I didn't miss a single training day because I never burned myself out. I took my rest days when I needed them. Um, you know, I needed to buy a new suit jacket because I finally was able to sleep this year. And so I finally grew and it's great. Like I don't fit into <laughs> my, any of my clothes now, but that's a good problem to have because I was finally able to sleep. Um, but I think when when you look at it like from a, a larger standpoint, as opposed to just for this one training session, you have to go 100%, then people start to realize like, oh, okay, this is why I need to balance it. So you prioritize, you periodize accordingly, and then over time, you put enough effort, you get those the gains that you really want. I love that. It's really about playing the long game. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you're not an athlete, right? If like you don't if you're listening to this podcast and you're you're 30, there's a good chance you're never going to the Olympics or gonna be a professional <laughs> athlete. So at this point, like why kill yourself Rose, in the gym? crushing dreams today. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even for myself, right? Like, I remember being 18, like, if I just train until I'm 30, I'm going to be massive. You know, like, all the top bodybuilders are, like, 5'9 and under. And I'm like, cool, I'm 5'10. Like, I'll just train forever and I'll be as yoked as they are. And then, you know, you train and you're like, oh, that's never going to happen. But so, especially if you're, like, older, right, and you kind of missed the chance to be a professional athlete at some sort of like elite level then just do it for fun for your own goals and you know if you're if your livelihood doesn't depend on it sleep take your rest days don't yes. carry yourself in the gym sleep is such an important for all part of this puzzle yeah i was just gonna add for everyone listening there is life after 30 just so y'all <laughs> yeah, no, very young <laughs> but there is life after 30 like i'm still here <laughs> I just turned 28 and I'm like, it's over, man. 28, 
41 years old, my friend, there is life after 30. <laughs> not, not a fun one, because then you have kids and then you're old and you're in bed by nine and they wake you up in the morning and all that stuff. But there is life after Ugh. 30 and you can still train. <laughs> we, we got a new squat rack coming for the garage tomorrow. So there you go. Life after yes. I love it. Yeah. That's awesome. It's great. That is awesome. Nice. It's coming yeah. in eight boxes. I feel bad for the FedEx guy. But anyway. Oh, no. I feel like you've been putting so much stuff together. Like it's, every time I'm like, well, I'm putting it's this together. Weeks. I'm putting that together. And we don't normally do that. I blame COVID. That's a COVID issue. Like we're in this house and we're like, we should fix that. And we should put that over there. And we should put that there so we don't kill each other. So, yeah. That's great. So let's touch on what happens. Yeah. Let's touch on what happens when we're chronically underfueling. What does that look like? Yeah. So uh, again, to bounce off what Ro just said, it's the long game that we need to be after, right? So the chronic underfueling, and I see this so much, I'm sure you do too, Brooke and, and Nicole, I'm not sure what your clientele mostly consists of, but Brooke and I see this, I'm sure. Folks come to me all the time and they say, I want to lose body fat and gain muscle. And they want to do that at the same time. <laughs> and I keep having to remind them, these are opposing goals. We can't do them at the same time. We can work on them and stack them and work on one to get to the other, but it is very unlikely for the average trained individual to be able to change body composition in two directions at the same time, right? Like that's just not how it works. A highly trained athlete, maybe we can shift body comp. For the average person, it means we either are losing body fat or we're gaining muscle mass. So the problem then is when we're chronically underfueling in the mindset of most of my clients, that means if I'm working out harder and eating less, then I'm going to burn all the fat and I'm going to put on all the muscle. And that's just not what happens. So we know when we're working out, we're chronically tearing down tissue. That's kind of the point, right? We're tearing down things to build them up stronger. The problem is when then there's not enough fuel to rebuild these things, we're in that perpetual tearing down stage. And it's it's a it's a cumulative effect that eventually is going to, like Ro was saying earlier, you're you're in the red and eventually you can't get out of that red, right? You're at a point where it's going to take you years to recover because now we've caused damage. And that damage can be small things like nutrient deficiencies. And I say small because nutrient deficiencies on paper are small in their effect on what's happening, you know, metabolically and within the system. Is not that small. I see a ton of nutrient deficiencies again in my endurance athletes because it's that chronic pounding. It's that constant, you know, some of these folks are training 15, 17 hours a week. And these are your folks who have normal jobs going to work 40 hours a week, right? These are yeah. not professional <laughs> athletes where I'm like, what do, how do you find the time? First of all, you have children and you have jobs. Where do you find this time? But so we know the like time I'm comes. I'm a bad husband. <laughs> Right, a bad husband and they don't sleep, right? Like these are the people that are sleeping four or five hours a night and then are going out for two hour rides followed by an hour run and, you know, eating like birds and wondering why they're feeling like crap all the time. Well, I can think of a few things, right? So the things we see is the nutrient deficiencies, but then down the road, we have injuries and we have underperformance. Like you were saying earlier, Brooke, like you just can't reach your performance goals if there is no fuel in the tank to do that. I always tell my folks, you're asking your body to do more work with less fuel, like the basic car analogy. And it's so generic, but it's true. You can't ask the car to go up the hill if the car doesn't have any gas. This is what we're doing. Um, and your car will break down and that's what's happening to your body. It just is a slow progressive process. And I feel like folks get used to the stages of slow progression. So like you were saying earlier, Ro, this is just your new normal, right? Your new normal is I feel like shit. <laughs> so then we don't see the drastic effect it's having until we get to a point where it's too late. Um, and in extreme cases, obviously, we're talking about immune system issues. We're talking about metabolic function issues. We're, for women, a lot of times we're talking about lack of period and fertility issues, which sometimes are things that I think women don't 
recognize or realize until suddenly they're trying to get pregnant. And then now it's an issue. And now you're struggling for years to try to undo that damage. Um, so the damage is far reaching and, and chronic potentially if that underfueling is a constant with the training load not changing. Yeah. One of the things that comes to mind having this kind of conversation is for an athlete, even if you're a recreational athlete and you just want to perform your best and have longevity throughout life, is your goal to perform better or to be smaller? And I mean, it's kind of profound. It's like, do you just want to shrink yourself or do you want to make sure you're fueling yourself to reach your goals and have some other type of meaning other than just to be smaller? Um, I don't know. I just thought that was like really profound. I read it recently and I can't even remember where, but I wanted to like share that thought. And I think that the, you know, you mentioned chronic and acute underfueling have their own set of demons and it really can take years. Like, especially for female athletes, we saw this a lot in NCAA. It will take years to get back to having normal periods and as a female, like just normal function. And it's sometimes a little too late, like you mentioned, because you don't really realize it until like all the alarms are flashing red and like it's the sirens are going off, but you just missed it beeping at you for like the last year of like, eh, I don't know. So this kind of leads me into my next question is women and men and women are obviously very different, but how specifically does this affect women? <laughs> we are different creatures, Ro. Very different. <laughs> We're both crazy, if that means anything. Um, no, it means nothing. Because <laughs> I nothing. agree. <laughs> um, no, but especially for women, not to discount, you know, the effect this can have on men. And obviously, we can we can get into issues of orthorexia and overexercising and underfueling and all these issues with men as well. But with women, like you were saying, um, Brooke, the the chronic effect of it can be so deeply scarring and hard to get out of. Um, because I feel like we, especially as women athletes, there's a constant struggle between women naturally are meant to carry a higher body fat percentage than men, because we have a different biological function than men. This is how our bodies function. But that goes completely against our current beauty and fitness standards for female athletes, right? The requirement per the industry, a lot of times is for women to, like you said, Brooke, to be smaller than they naturally are, rather than stronger, faster, better. We focus on smaller, we focus on the aesthetic piece of it, which comes with a boatload of problems, right? Um, because when we're undercutting in order to meet that unrealistic body fat percentage, what we're doing is messing with, with functions beyond just the body fat that's keeping us warm. Um, but from a nutritional perspective, from a metabolic perspective, pretty much every endocrine function we have is dependent on body fat, right? And what the body fat does in our system. And we're not just talking subcutaneous fat. We're talking about fat around our organs. We're talking about fat that helps move hormones. So we're talking about an effect on menstrual function, which there's a whole other conversation. Menstrual function goes beyond the ability to be pregnant or not be pregnant. It regulates so many things within the human body. It you know has an effect on aging and has an effect on brain function, liver elimination, cholesterol, bone density. I mean, there are so many things that are directly affected by whether or not our hormone status and by function, our fat status are where they're supposed to be. So if all of that is disrupted because we have a chronic, you know, inadequate energy supply, um, there's many things that happen. The one that people have probably heard about, um, red S or the relative energy deficiency in sport syndrome happens a lot, which basically is just a fancy way of saying you have chronically underfueled so much that your body now is having 
physiological effects from this, which again, the low energy, um, you know, just feeling like crap, having injuries, those kind of things. Um, and worst case scenario of that, we progress to what is called the female athlete triad, which now means we have a loss of menstruation, we have amenorrhea, whether, and the hard thing with that, I want to point out a lot of women, especially in, you know, a childbearing age group might be on hormonal birth control. So they don't even know that they technically have lack of menstruation, right? Because the hormonal birth control will make you bleed every month. But whether there's ovulation and true menstruation happening, they sometimes don't know for years afterwards until they get to a point where now they want to start a family or now the hormonal birth control they don't need anymore for whatever reason. And they come off this birth control and then, wait, where did my period go? Well, you probably haven't had one for years. You thought you had one because you're on this birth control, but you have had this chronic underfueling, this chronic overworking so this is a problem that you may not even realize you have. And with that then comes the low energy avail availability, which with or without disordered eating. I think that's another thing that's important to point out that people may seem on the surface to be eating normally, right? And that's, again, relative what's normal. It's, it's sometimes truly just an issue of lack of calories or lack of variety in the diets. We're not meeting those micronutrient needs. And then with that, again, hormonal function disruption and just low energy availability, now we have bone mineral density issues. And I always tell my athletes, and this is hard for anyone to hear speaking of life after 30, um, your bone density is pretty much done as a woman by the time you're 20, 22. I mean, you don't have a whole lot of time after that to you know, improve that bone density. The, game, the name of the game after that is maintenance, right? Is to continue to replace what you're losing but you're not going to make any massive net gains after that. So once you've had this issue, you're in this female athlete triad, recuperating what you've lost becomes a really difficult task. So these are scary and potentially long-lasting effects. Like you were saying, Brooke, this can take years to kind of recover from. So the point is, the important part is to understand what you need. If you're not aware of what you need or if you're having a hard time kind of getting out of the weeds and, and understanding your own situation. And we're all guilty of that. I think whether we're professionals or not, sometimes it's hard to see your own situation for what it's worth. This is when it's time to reach out to a professional to kind of take a, you know, do, do a gut check, no pun intended, but do a check on, are we covering all bases? Are you supporting your system so that you don't end up with these chronic issues? For sure. Um, working in athletics, they were very, strict about monitoring this for obvious reasons because they wanted to make sure that everyone was being taken care of, especially on like this collegiate level where it's like, you're kind of still kids. Yeah. Legally you're an adult, but, um, they would use the female athlete screening tool to make sure they're, you know, they needed to make referrals or intervention. Sometimes girls would have to stop play until they were at a healthy place because, um, like you mentioned things like osteopenia and uh, osteopenia and osteoporosis, like those are serious things where, your bones can break easily and you can get really injured. And if you're playing a sport, something like a contact sport, even like something like soccer where you're colliding into people and um, it can be really dangerous. And I wanted to share this statistic too, because I feel like we're kind of on the subject here is the prevalence <laughs> of, I know me too, prevalence of disordered mm -hmm. eating and eating disorders in athletes it's 6% to 45% of female athletes wow. that will experience something like that among their career as an athlete. For men, it's 0 to 19%. So it's definitely lower, but it's still there. Like it's not just women. And that's a lot. That was 45%, an interesting statistic. Mm -hmm. Up to 45% of women, they estimate, and 19% of men. 
That's crazy. I, I think that, uh, Brooke, you made a really good point uh, a couple minutes ago when you asked, like, do you want to perform or do you want to be smaller? So one one thing that I always, there, I guess there's two things that I always think of. My buddy's wife was a collegiate swimmer who, like, missed Olympic trials, or I guess was in the Olympic trials, but missed the Olympics by, like, just just barely there, right? But her, her body was breaking down so much because <laughs> the training that they had her doing was wild. Uh, and then also like you pay a price to be at an elite level, right? So eventually things just break down. But I remember her talking to me about how so many of her coaches or a couple of her coaches would be like, well, you don't look great. And she's like, I don't give a fuck if I look great. If I can swim great, like that's the only thing that matters, right? And And that's it. Do you want athletes who look good and then perform at a subpar level? Or do you want winners who look however they look, but they're able to use that. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's something like in soccer, where if you lose five pounds or whatever, it allows you to run a bit faster. Yeah, maybe. But if you just want to look good so that you look good on the field, but you're constantly getting beat out, like that doesn't make any sort of sense. Um, yeah. And then your existence the isn't to like look good for other people. Sorry, that made me very mad that that someone said that to her. It's like oh, my existence yeah. is to be an athlete, not to look good for mm-hmm. your eyeballs. Like, get out of here. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when I was uh, training the cheer and palm teams at Mississippi State, I remember the the first conversation I had with the uh, head coach. I was like, you know, so what is it that you want from your your athletes? And she was like, I don't want my girls to be fat. And I was like, oh, what else? What else do you want? And she was like, I don't want my girls to be fat. And I was like, okay, cool. So I didn't listen now, to that at all. You know, you know when, you, uh, like, when you flip the script on that and you think about what they would say, you know, the, the professional football players, like that's not the first thing they're going to tell the male football oh, players. Yeah. Like, I want you to not be fat. No, I want you to make yeah. sure you can run the ball downfield, right? Like yeah. that's their job. It's Absolutely. such a, I'm with Brooke on this, man. That stuff just gets under my skin so much where it becomes an aesthetic issue for a female athlete. And not to say it doesn't happen for the male athletes too, right? Especially in, in weight class sports. Um, but in general, with a female athlete, that's the first thing they're going to look at is why does she look like she gained five pounds? Not look at her. She just cut 13 seconds off her PR, right? Like that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at what does she look like in her singlet? Why? Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I agree that in... Because because it is a is a finicky line, right? Because in, in most performance based sports, um, right, for performance is obviously the first thing. But with cheer and with uh, gymnastics, like there is an aesthetic part of it. Like you you get points if you look better and you can move better. And you know if you have like a muffin top that's going over, like even if even if you are totally healthy and everything's good but for some reason your torso is just shorter and you just happen to hold it there right it doesn't even matter if you lose 10 pounds like you're still going to have that that muffin top or whatever so so it, it was it was definitely a fine line but i never i never ran them for like a really long time because she was like oh if you just like run them they'll lose weight and i was like look if you just let me do my job things are going to be okay and my focus wasn't weight we we did weigh them what is it? I think every two weeks uh, or once a month. I, I don't remember. Um, but it was really just to, to check to make sure that there was no like huge increase. Right. And every time there was, I'd be like, are you in your period this week? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Easy. What did you eat yesterday? I ate a lot. Cool. Whatever. So like understanding that is a huge part of working with people, but also with like women who are in sports that like the aesthetic is, is important. 
so I, I always remember that. And, and my thing was like, Hey, if you all want to be strong, like that's all I care about stronger and faster. If you don't like look perfect, then come in, do some extra cardio, like just a bit, maybe laugh some food, but I'm going to make sure you, you all are strong and fast. And in 2015, uh, they, they, I think that was the first time or the second time they released the body issue on ESPN uh, or on uh, the magazine. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know what it is, Sports Center or Sports, Sports Illustrated. Illustrated, but, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always remember, and I went and looked it up, uh, the 2012 Olympian in, um, I think it's like Hammer Toss, Amanda Bingson is like, she's a much bigger lady by any standard that you measure her against. But who cares she's 210 pounds five six and is an olympian a four-time olympian you know what i mean so her focus was not how do i look it's how can i compete at a top level and just be the way i am right like i need mass in order to throw this i need mass in order to produce power and i thought that including her in something like that was like so awesome because it was like this is what an elite athlete in her sport looks like it's not just this like beauty queen whatever and that's not to say you can't be both but her thing was ultimate power production boom you know what i mean like the super heavyweight olympian uh weightlifters like they're 250 plus pounds but they're also some of the most powerful beings on the planet like you can move that weight so fast so you know i i just i just really like that you brought that up brooke where it's like what are you training for you know if you want to be better live better be stronger than you have to eat, you know, and sometimes that might mean that you're not going to fit into some box of what society deems like pretty or whatever. But like you said, like my existence is, is not to look good for you. It's to perform as an athlete or perform as a, a weekend warrior who can also be a mother to her four kids or whatever. So yeah, stuff gets me in a really, I'm antsy now. I feel like fighting. Well, I think, well, I think, uh, <laughs> You and Nicole and I had a conversation, you know, yesterday or earlier today. I can't remember. It all blurs together in 2020, uh, <laughs> where we were kind of touching on this point that you can also be someone who's over exercising and under fueling and be in a bigger body. Like it doesn't necessarily look a certain way. So I think that's important to note um, as a practitioner, you know something you need to keep in mind and keeping that weight bias in check. It's like just because someone's not physically looking undernourished to you and like what you perceive that to be, you absolutely can be underfueled, undernourished, not getting the right nutrients and still be in a bigger body. So that's why it's also really important that you pay attention to all the different biomarkers and really treating people like a human and putting together all these puzzle pieces as to what can be going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brooke, you you did mention the athlete triad, right? Did did we talk about that? I did, yeah, I did, did yeah. Talk about that. Okay, yeah. Sorry, again, it's all blurring. I do have a question for you, and I wrote it, so I know you've been thinking about it. Um, <laughs> so when uh, Nicole and I were training uh, one of our boxers for her Olympic trials, I was uh, the the fight landed right on when she was going to have her her period, pretty much, and so for someone who has to fit into a weight class it was like oh fuck mm. this is just like another thing that i would never have to think about with a guy right because like whatever <laughs> your weight is that day it is but oh i started menstruating and now i'm up five pounds like 
what are we supposed to do there? So I asked my, my professor, Dr. M and I was like, Hey, you know, like, um, do you have any experience with this? What are some things that I think about? Because, you know, like I, I'd never had an, an athlete at that high of a level where something like that was going to happen on the exact same day that like she was slated to fight. And Dr. M was like, well, you know, um, if she's already like cutting weight, there's a chance that she might not even get it because mm-hmm. she's at a lower weight. She She's like, for all intent and purposes, malnourished, uh, and she's fighting at a high level. So the energy expenditure is really high. Um, but also, like, if it doesn't happen, even for like a month or two or even three, like, it's not that big of a deal. Um, because when you think about it, you know, humans have evolved, obviously, over time. And the reason why we are like, able to just have normal functions is because food is always around. We're always in a safe environment. You know, we're, we're mentally for the most part, we're like pretty decent. So like our body is able to produce and be in this state where we can always do things. But back then, you know, when you had to search for food, when there was food scarcity, when shelter wasn't a guarantee, when sleep was low because you were running away from animals and other tribes and blah, blah, um, women weren't having their periods as often. And so I was wondering if you'd ever like thought about that or if, you know, that has ever come into like, like at what point is, is missing your period, like a huge deal and how long can you go before you're like, this is a, this is a real problem and not like, Oh, this is just a price we're paying for right now, whatever. Yeah, that is a good question. I think when it comes to the female cycle, there's so many different things that we need it for. It's not just simply a reminder that you're not pregnant. Like it plays a really big role in a lot of processes, especially like, you know, Kirsten mentioned like our bone density and our bone health. Um, And it's this natural, basically it's signaling this natural ebb and flow in our hormones. Is it the end of the world if you miss a period? No, it's certainly not. But if that's something that for a couple months, like you're repeatedly seeing and it's becoming a pattern, I would consider it a problem because that means something is off with your hormones that in this day and age, we should be having those, the regular ebb and flow of our estrogen and progesterone and FSH, like that, there's a reason it's there and it's necessary. So I would say, you know, if you miss it just one month, it's like, don't freak out. But if it absolutely is becoming a pattern after a couple months, then you should definitely seek, you know, some medical help to assess what's going on. I would jump in and just add what we were saying earlier about listening to your biomarkers, right? Like it's going to, if you, if you're skipping your period, there's a reason it's happening. So whether that mm-hmm. reason is you're underfueled, right? You're missing nutrients. And like you said, Ro, earlier, you said that your body, you know, makes sure the processes that have to happen will happen. So it'll cut out some you know, extra things. And yes, it's extra, but the fact that it's cutting it out means your body is having an inadequate influx of whatever it needs to support its functions. So that's the first thing. Second thing, like COVID, right? Um, Happened to me earlier this year where there was a month where things were totally off. And I was like, first I had panic attack. Like I cannot be pregnant. This cannot happen again. I was not (laughs) pregnant. Um, (laughs) There are three children in this house. We do not need any more. But so the point is, it was a signal that my body was overstressed, right? I was emotionally stressed from COVID, from kids in the house, from everything that's going on, work and whatever. The point is, it's a a biofeedback mechanism if it's not happening, right? So I would say if it happens more than one month, 
it's time to investigate as to why it's not happening because your body's sending you clear signals that something's not where it should be. And you probably want to dig into that. Like you said, if you have a fighter that you know is undercutting because that is what needs to happen right now in order mm-hmm. to meet weight class and, and perform at that level, then that's a trade-off that she is making, right. that she's having to make to meet that. But as soon as that training cycle is over or that immediate need for weight class is over, I would do everything possible to regain whatever it takes to hit that, you know, that monthly yeah. reminder that you're okay. That you're okay. Yeah. And, and I think that I know we, we focus on women and, and we, as we should, I think we all agree that like this is more of a problem for women because the beauty industry tends to attack women. So obviously it's going to happen to women more. I mean, Brooke, you'd name that statistic where it's almost half of women have some sort of eating disorder. That's insane. Or disordered but eating, like, like not diagnosed, but yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Uh, I'm like, what's the difference? There's the difference. Um, There's but the like difference. for for men, right? Like fats are also important. Um, and, and this isn't me being like, don't forget about the men. But like for our male listeners, like you also have to be aware of what the hell's going on with you. Um, I've said it before in, I think it was a podcast with, with Aaron, um, when it was like things that you should be asking your clients. Like, are you, del- are you recovering well? If not, there's a pretty good chance that you're underfed, right? The, the testosterone is not as high as it should be, and therefore you are not recovering well. Your sleep as well, you're more irritable. Like imagine just being like a high-strung male, like most males are anyway, and then now you're even more irritable, like recipe for disaster. <laughs> That's how wars have been started, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, but I think it's it's like, you know, we have this we have this system in place that for us it's it's a daily thing. Like, are you waking up with erections? Are you waking up in the middle of the night and you happen to have an erection? Like if you're, if, if it's been a week and you're like, Oh Jesus, like I haven't had a boner in a week. There's something wrong. You know what I mean? Like if you are like, Hey, I love my significant other, but like the sex drive is not there. Or when we start, I can't sustain it. Like, There's all these things that you know, we have this this little or big meter in our pants that tells us like, hey, something is wrong. And mm-hmm. if you're not listening to that, then it's like, like it, it's like the signal, right? Mm-hmm. And and I know that like, for me, when I go on like really high volume blocks and I'm not recovering well, like if it's been a couple of days, I'm like, that was too high. All right, it's mm-hmm. time to back off, right? Yeah. But that's because I'm like very in tune with what's going on. Um, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where, again, if you let's say you're really busy and you have kids all the time and blah, blah, blah. And you, you don't even realize it. Like how many, how many times have you heard older couples be like, I don't remember the last time we had sex or I don't remember the last time I had an erection. Like, okay, then something is very wrong and we need to fix either your eating or your stress. Or if you are an athlete, like back down from whatever it is we're doing. So, and there's a trade-off, right? Cause in, in bodybuilding where you have to, cut out a lot of food to get down to pretty much 0% body fat, you're not. You're not going to have any sort of sexual drive because you barely want to be alive. Uh, And then the same thing for uh, high-level athletes, especially like powerlifting where you're putting a lot of intensity, trying to build up this thing and and chasing or running away from fatigue, there's going to be a certain block where maybe you're like, hey, I just need to focus on getting really, really strong these next three weeks and it's going to beat the hell out of me. So I'm sorry, but like, this is the trade-off I'm making. I can't mm-hmm. love you the way that I used to for these next three weeks or whatever. Um, but like for males, that's your go-to. Are you irritable? Are you not recovering well? 
and have you had an erection? Make sure yeah. you want, you know that. So great point. Really good points. Definitely going to not ask my male clients that on a check-in form, but very, very valid <laughs> points. When was your last I mean, erection? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We make jokes about it, right? But like, you should be like, you can, you can say like, how's your sex life? You know, well, like, I do you're ask not going to be like, joking? you're not going to be like, send yeah. me nudes. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we, we talk to our female clients about their period, right? At least I do. I'm mm-hmm. like, are you having regular periods? Yeah. It's the same thing. Exact it's it's same just, thing. A, it's a different, you know, it's a different, it's it's a different measure of the same thing of whether it's a, it's a feedback mechanism. Is your system doing what it is meant to be doing, Supposed right? Supposed to be doing, yeah. Even yeah, after I 30. Do ask, yeah, I ask, <laughs> yeah, exactly. there you go. <laughs> there you go. I ask, uh, I do ask sex drive on the forum. So it's kind of like a gauge, a more PG gauge of like, is everything in line there? Like when you see a random boob, how do you feel? Like, okay, this is good. And if you think of nursing babies, you might be over 30. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. We can play Great. this joke all night, you guys. How I know, right? Well, I, I think I love yeah, it. I like, I'm going through like my, my, my posts that I made like a long time ago. And it was like, natural ways to increase testosterone because everyone is all males are always like how do i boost my testosterone and it's like uh i'm trying to remember but it's like sleep oh sleep sun steak and sex like nice easy four ways to increase your testosterone and make sure everything's okay like red meats high in fat great go for round two three i don't care but like if you aren't getting those four things then why are you worried about like test boosters and right. yeah. special sports subs and stuff like yeah. that. Well, but it's good. People always go to that first, right? Like, give me the magic mm-hmm. pill. I don't want to change my lifestyle. That's work. Give me my yeah. magic yeah. pill to just exactly. bypass biology. Yeah. No. Unfortunately. Oh, goodness. So, Ro, question for you. If someone's yeah. recognized that they might be over-exercising, how should you kind of correct the situation or go about fixing it? get that testosterone. Like I talked about, <laughs> you just go to your doctor and say, Hey, inject some stuff into my ass and I'll be good. No, uh, <laughs> as much as that sounds like a really great thing to do. Um, it, it really depends on the person and then also how fatigued you are. So if you are like super fatigued, right? Take, take a full week off and just go for a walk, do some yoga or mobility or durability drills, like foam roll, Go get a massage. Like I, one thing that I do is at every deload. Um, so if I like, and yeah, before I go into a deload, I get a massage done. Um, I'm a bougie bitch. Like I need it. We know uh, it. And after mm-hmm. being, I, yeah, <laughs> after being, after being hurt so many times, I'm like, I can spend the sixty to a hundred dollars, like what once every five weeks, to make sure that I feel good. And if if you you know, are someone who can do that, I highly recommend it. Um, but for me, that's part of my healing process, right? Like, hey, I know I've put in four or five weeks of really solid work. It's been really stressful. Here's an hour where I get to just relax, let someone else do the work, kind of fine tune some things that maybe I don't realize. So my adductors are always super tight because I squat way too much. But like, I don't feel that. And I can't put myself in positions where I'm like, oh, that really hurts. But my buddy Nate, can you know lift my leg and I'm like ouch 
instantly that hurts. He's like, okay, we know what we need to work on. Um, so that's, that's one thing, right? Taking just full time off. Uh, another thing is if you are just like, Hey, I want to keep working at stuff. Like for some reason I can't mentally or physically take time off, then cutting the volume because it's not intensity that beats you up. It's volume. So, you know, you can stay at 90% or 95, whatever it is you're at, it's going to hurt. You're going to grind it out, but it's not going to beat you up in the long run. Like you being like, Oh, we'll do 85%, but we're going to do four or five sets of it. Like that's going to mess you up. So cutting down volume would be maybe the next step up if it's not too bad. Uh, and then I get the, the final or the first step, cause I'm going to reverse order for some reason, um, is to just take that one workout and just feel it out. You know, like, yeah, percentages are really important, especially if you are on a strength gaining block where you're like, I'm trying to hit 620 at my powerlifting meet. I have to hit these numbers as a gauge to see how we're doing. It's time to roll with it. But that accessory work, you can just roll back and say, hey, I'm just going to focus on moving today, right? Because again, that volume is what beats you up. So instead of doing five sets of 10 uh, penlay rows, Right, maybe five sets of five or five sets of 10, but like at 50% instead of at 75%. So there's a lot of ways that you can tinker with it depending on how fatigued you are or how overtrained and underfed you are. Um, and, and the best thing is sleep. You know, make sure that you're sleeping because it doesn't matter what you're not doing in that one to two hours that you're training if you're not actually getting your sleep. Like, that's when you recover. And you all know that when you eat is also when you recover. So increase feed too. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us right into the next question. When under fueling, where do we start and how can we start correcting that situation? I don't need to answer. Ro just did. No, I'm just kidding. Um, he covered <laughs> the it testosterone. <laughs> testosterone. That's yeah. it. Especially those female. No, not females do not go ass, get yeah. testosterone. Um, <laughs> I mean, this is going to sound really stupid, but the first step is to eat more, right? Like that. That sounds yeah. really easy on paper, but that's what what it usually boils down to. That freaks a lot of people out, especially folks who are very in tune with their exercise and their eating habits because they have established a routine that they are stuck with and into, and that's their safety net. Um, so what I usually do with my folks that are struggling with that is I start honing in on proper timing of intake around workouts, right? So I make sure that we're getting the fuel ahead of time, that we're not working out on an empty tank, that we're making sure we're fueling during. That's a huge one, especially again, for my endurance folks that they struggle with during, right? They think I ate before, I'm going to eat after. What do I know? Well, you're on a two and a half hour ride up a mountain. Like we're going to need to fuel that because mm -hmm. there's not enough there. Um, so that's usually my first thing is to make sure that we're truly hitting our, our goals as far as food intake before, during, and after the workout. And then I start to work um, kind of like what Ro was saying, this is a, a phased approach, right? Like then I start to work toward, we need to make sure that we're increasing overall intake for the remainder of the day. Um, and I also work on dehealthifying foods. <laughs> this is this weird thing that everybody's doing these days that that food that is naturally perfect and healthy and mother nature made for us and we should all eat it has to somehow be fixed, right? Like brownies need to be sugar free. Like that is an oxymoron. That is not what a brownie Gross. is. Like a brownie right. is full of sugar. And like, Preach, why would you do that? Please, you know? more of this. <laughs> I mean, dairy free ice cream. Like these are not things, right? So if it's not a thing, I don't think you should eat it. Um, and I don't mean like if you can't pronounce it, you shouldn't eat it because quinoa, who the hell can pronounce that? 
that right. You should eat that. It's <laughs> yeah. delicious. Um, so don't go with that rule. But my point is like we need to dehealthify. Everything does not need to be cauliflower rice. Like my God, just eat the rice. Nobody likes cauliflower rice. If you say you like, you are lying. You do not Gross. like cauliflower rice. Cauliflower is delicious. Rice is delicious. Together, it is not a thing. <laughs> Um, yeah. So first we fuel around the workouts, then we dehealthify and we get back to the, like getting over that fear of eating actual food, right? And then sometimes it comes down to we need to, like again, Ro was saying a minute ago, we need to reduce the exercise. And that is a really, really scary thing for a lot of people that Absolutely. focus on that. Um, but that's what has to happen if the food intake isn't yet adequate to support that output. So it's, it's that whole balance thing, right? We have to have enough input to support the output and we can still hit goals. We can even still hit weight goals if that's part of the equation, but we have to produce enough or put in enough that we can support what we're asking the body to produce. So those are my three steps. First, we you know, fuel around exercise, we dehealthify everything, and then we make sure we have an adequate balance to support the output that we're asking of things. But when you mentioned, I think when you mentioned, oh, sorry, when you mentioned dehealthifying, I went to Trader Joe's, Trader Joe's for the first time yesterday. First of all, first totally time in overrated. your life? Over, yeah, first time in my life. I don't even That's think it's insane. a real store. It's all an aesthetic. This place is overblown. <laughs> Whatever. I paid paid way too much for like- Those are fighting time. words. What the fuck is this? Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I posted on my story and I had something like 20 people being like, how fucking dare you? And I'm like, all right, man. Like, <laughs> If you're getting upset at- Trader Joe's being oh, a part no, that's of your personality. Like a whole culture, man. You, you need a you personality. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, we'll probably get hate here. But uh, yesterday when we were walking around the aisles, I saw broccoli and kale pizza crust. Now that's instantly like, when I was like, "Fuck this place!" <laughs> I, was like, I don't want to be here anymore. Get me out of here. Uh, and I will and I tell get, you, I'm, you know, the, I'm probably the only dietitian you ever. Met. I hate kale. I think kale is disgusting. Kale, kale sucks. is something. It's, yeah, kale is something that you grows know, like, in your yard that you're supposed to put Roundup on. Like it's not meant to be. Eaten. It is a weed. It is disgusting. I don't know why we put it in our bodies. It's gross. My old, my old roommate Conrad. Shout out Conrad. Uh, he used to make kale chips, and he thought they were the best fucking things. First of all. <laughs> It's just kale. He would spray oil on him and he'd stick him in, in the oven. And he then you like, cook it until so it dies. Good. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, it's so good. I'm like, that's not good, dude. It's you're just here's a tortilla like chip. Eat paper. that. Yeah, exactly. So I just have to bring that up. Trader that. Joe's overrated. And then also stop making pizza crust out of things that are not pizza crust. But. I agree. It's a travesty. <laughs> Man. Oh, goodness. One thing that you brought up I wanna wanted to talk on was the people being afraid to add food. I think that that's common. You get used to your routine. I see this a lot with people afraid of carbs. And yes. you say, oh I'm like, you need more carbs to support your activity. Just honestly, some people it's so low. It's like I just to support your activities of daily living and your exercise is also, we're going to need to increase it. But um, I think that I found the easiest thing is to slowly work on building up the fuel and being smart about where you place it. So if it's something that's hard for you and you know you want to do this, honestly, like baby steps, just put it around your activity and then you'll start to see a big difference and helping to make sure that you're fueling that activity. So I think that would be a really good key step is slowly build it up in a way that you're comfortable with and definitely work on bookending those workouts if when you're yeah, going to start adding it that. back in. Yeah. And I think also like you know, adding carbs does not mean that you just get to have like brownies and stuff, right? It's right. like, hey, have a couple more fruits. 
Because right. for some fucking reason, people think that fruits are bad for you because they have sugar. Right. But being like, have pineapple. You remember you used to love pineapple? Have that again. Yeah. You remember you used to like mangoes? Have that again. Yeah. So I think for someone who is like really struggling about adding food back, right? Be like, just have things that you used to have that you cut out way back when that you enjoyed. This yeah. does not mean that you get like a full deep dish pizza like every Wednesday or something, but you know, things that are going to help that person yeah. mentally not not be like, oh, freaked out about it. I also don't get it because like I'm on a mass journey. I love this. I'm eating way more than I, I don't, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't even want to eat anymore, but I'm still like losing weight. And I'm like, God damn it. And I know everyone that hears that is like, I hate you so much, but like, it's, it's very difficult for me to lose weight or to gain weight, even though I'm like, eating way more right. than I used to. So I don't I don't understand people who are like, I just I don't want to add food back in. But How you know what you... I always tell all my clients, my goal is for you to eat more food. <laughs> to eat yeah. to eat more often, to be able to eat as much as you want and then some and then complain to me that you're eating too much food. Like that's my goal because who wants to not yeah. eat food? Like there's like nobody wants to not eat food. We are genetically programmed to want to eat food, right? Have yeah. sex, eat food. These are the things we do. So, like, that's, if, yeah. I don't, I, I don't all our biology boils right? down to, yeah. like, that's, I mean, that's our function, right? So, I just, I just don't understand. I always, I always want people to be able to eat more, not to have to take stuff away. Like, we're, we're going to work on adding things and doing it effectively so that you can reach your goals, but you're full. Yep. Yeah. And that's even possible so, if your goal is to lose fat. You can still 100%. have a really great volume of food. Mm-hmm be adding things and food into your diet that you don't normally do. It doesn't always have to be a subtraction game. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%. So as, as someone uh, or for someone who might be listening, who is a practitioner, who's an RD or nutritionist or whatever, um, d- different things, but who is trying <laughs> to um, maybe try and put into practice some of the stuff that we talked about, what are some like tips or, or you know, steps that people can implement so that, you know, they can walk away and be like, oh, okay, my client doesn't like to eat more. You know, how can I get them to eat more based on what you two have done with your um, athletes and and people and and whatnot? That's a great question. Um, I'm going to jump in, Brooke, if that's good. Yeah, you go go first. Tell me what, add your your input. Um, But one thing that I do with all my clients is, like Brooke just said, I want to know what they enjoy eating, right? So I don't try to ever force things that I know my clients don't like, right? Like you could tell me that kale will literally prevent cancer. I will still not eat it. It's gross. <laughs> yeah, so, <same. laughs> you know, like it's, I mean, so I don't, I don't want it ever to be something I that like doesn't you. fit. <laughs> I like you too. Um, I don't want it to ever not fit my client's lifestyle. So it needs to be something that they want to do. I always tell them you're the driver. I'm your co-pilot. Like I'll help you navigate, but I'm not going to tell you something that you don't want to do. So the, to me, the most important thing for any practitioner is to make sure that whatever direction and plan we we help guide on fits into that person's life, not the other way around. I will never try to fit your life into whatever nutrition agenda you might think I have. It is what is it that you need? What does your body need? And what do you enjoy? Let's do more of that. Let's put more of that in there and let me work around based on the things that you enjoy to make sure that you're still getting the nutrients that you need. Because if you tell me all you enjoy is, you know, Coca-Cola and uh, Cheetos, then yeah, we've got a little bit of work to do. There's right. a few things we got to add there. But I'm not going to tell you to cut out all the Coca-Cola and Cheetos because if that's what you enjoy, then that's part of the deal. 
that will probably be my main suggestion for any practitioner. Make sure the client has quality of life in this process. The goal is to improve quality of life, whether that is, you know, longevity or mental health or all of those things, hopefully. Let's make it fit to what they're after, not what we think they should be doing. And that's like exactly. way more sustainable too, right? Like yeah. that that's a great answer. Yeah. Well, yeah, Where and that's broken? why nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I you think can come the, back another time. <laughs> the in like the assessment onboarding process with a client is so important because we need them to tell us what are your non-negotiables? What is your life like? What does a day day in the life look like? What are things you hate? What are things you love? What are things that motivate you? What are things that don't motivate you and turn you off to the process? I need to know all of this so I can be a good coach to figure out and build a program around you. I'm not going to like both of us have our coaching process that we roll through that is proved, you know, tried, tested and proven. This will work. But that doesn't mean we're giving you this like cookie cutter protocol. We are building right. a protocol. We are building a protocol for you around your life. And then we are running through the process together as a team. And that's how you see sustainable results. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not like, like someone says like, I'm depressed. And you're like, oh, you have to have more rice. And you're like, right. what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, it's like, Rowan, you work with people, right? And we do this in fitness all the time. You have multiple touch points. You're not meeting that person one time and giving them like, here's do this. Good luck. Yeah. Right. Oh, but in nutrition, depends, somehow, yeah. right. like that's, I mean, but that's <laughs> like, there's no success from that. Right. Like you sure, need sustainable yeah. process where there's multiple touch points and you're working through it. That's what Brooke mm -hmm. and I do in coaching, because if you meet with somebody one time, they want you to give them a meal plan. It's like, that's not going to work. I can write yeah. down on paper, like, here's, here's a perfect diet for an arbitrary person that I picked out of thin air, but will yeah. this work for you? No, like we, we need to work together to work through. I always tell my people, we have to adapt. We have, we have to anticipate and adapt because that's life, right? Like nothing is ever stagnant when it comes to nutrition. So we have to work through that process and we have to have multiple touch points over a long period of time to figure out what your lifestyle is and what your needs are and how they change with time so that that person can then continue on that path. So it needs to be an involved process. Yeah. yeah. And, and for like fitness, I, I know that's why like any of the programs that like I, I ever write up and throw up on, on our website is like they're free because I don't believe in writing like a, a deadlift program because like and, and you pay $40 for it. Like, I don't know your leverages. I don't know where you're weak in that lift. Like, I don't know if you're working on, you know, like being strong in every facet and you just need to pick up your deadlift or you just want to be like a strong deadlifter. Like those are all questions and that require a lot of touch points. And so for me, like, it's like you said, it's, it's like a cookie cutter program and I'm not, I'm not going to sell those just because I'm like, Hey, you might get results. You might not right. give me $40 anyway. Right. Um, but one, one thing that, that I do want to touch on for, maybe practitioners who are afraid they might be overtraining someone. It's like, obviously like talk to your clients, right? Like that, that's such a, that's such a big thing where you need to have honest and open discussion because if someone's like, Oh, I feel like really great. Like I promise I'm, I'm really good because that client maybe doesn't want to hurt the feeling of their coach or, you know, maybe wants to believe in the system but then they go home and they're like, I cannot move for four <laughs> hours after we lift. Like there's a problem there. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have to set a standard where you're like, hey, like this is based on your training and your life as well. Like I, I want you to have life outside of this because unless you're mm -hmm. a power lifter, a weightlifter, a bodybuilder, like your life does not revolve around 
the gym. You know, like you're, you're not sacrificing 22 hours so that these two hours are good. Um, and then also it's like, it's so personal, right? It's just like nutrition in that some exercises might beat you up way more than others. I love to squat. Like I, I love squat, bench, deadlifting. I was like raising the powerlifting, like culture and whatever, but squatting just beats the shit out of me. And like, that's why I, I can't do strength and hypertrophy blocks anymore. Like they have to be their own set thing because my body just can't handle it anymore. I just have gotten too old, have had too many injuries, whatever. But like the only reason I know that is because I've been doing it for a while and I'm honest with myself. But if you're a coach and you're like, no, squats build your legs better than anything else and, and you want good legs and we have to squat. It's like, all right, well, there, there is no exercise that has to be in any program unless you are lifting in the squat bench deadlift or the clean and jerk and the snatch. Like it doesn't really matter. So for that person, understand that overtraining might happen super quickly. Uh, I had a, and this is really unfortunate, I had a student at Mississippi State who uh, had a client who they did some ridiculous amount of calf races. I think it was like 50 inward, normal, and then outward. And the person who had never really exercised for a couple of years like, ended up getting some pretty mild rhabdo, rhabdomyolysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if for people who are listening and don't know what that is, it's just like, a severe breakdown of of muscle to the point where those excrements of the muscle get transported into the blood and they get sent to the kidney and it can cause like kidney failure. Mm-hmm. Some people just have like Coca-Cola pee and then you just have to flush them out and they're fine. Some people have to go to the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's because you do a super high volume thing, right? And it just happens to happen. In this case, that guy just happened to do 150 calf raises. Like something, when you think about it, objectively seems pretty innocent, but it messed him up. And he came back, he talked to my student and was like, hey, I just want you to know that this happened. And my student felt super bad. And, you know, of course, like you you inadvertently hurt someone. It's part of the learning process, but something that seems like it's very normal to him and to us because it's only 150, which is still a shit ton of calf raises, uh, can really mess someone up because it is a muscle right? Like there has to be that balance that we talked about when it comes to fatigue and fitness. And even if it's just, I've never done crunches before and you do 30 crunches and then you get rhabdo because that's just genetically predisposed like to how much of a beating you can take. Like that's something that you have to have like very serious conversations with your clients or family members or whoever it is that you're, you're training. But right. Whenever I start with clients. So important. Yeah. Whenever I start with clients, I go through like the client coach agreements. And one of the biggest ones is always be honest no matter what. Be on- because I can't do my job to help you and protect you. And really, I'm here to have your best interest in mind and to help you reach your goals. Mm-hmm. I'm like, so always be honest. I don't care if you went totally, you know, off the rails on the weekend and you, you know, it's you're logging um an entire pizza and like eight cocktails. Like we need to at least be honest and communicate so we know what's working, what's not working, how you're feeling. Like always be honest. I like that. I'm going to take that. Be "Be honest with me or I cut you off. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) One last question I had that I wanted to touch on is um, you mentioned like obviously some severe situations like 
rhabdo and overexercising. And when it comes to underfueling, there is, and so I kind of just wanted to touch on the refeeding process and some considerations and dangers associated with that. Yeah. Um, and of course, any practitioner listening to this would be a refeeding syndrome, refeeding syndrome. We all remember having to study that and learn that and get tested on that. Um, but it's a real thing. I just want to point out it's it's kind of like rhabdo. It's rare, right? Like this is not something that happens to the average exerciser. Refeeding syndrome clinically is something we see a lot more often in you know, anorexia, starvation situations, um, severe, you know, organ failure situations, folks in ICU, those kind of things. Um, but it is something that can happen. A prolonged chronic underfueling situation will lead to some metabolic adaptations, right? Your body is going to, the, the body is really good at kind of preserving its main functions <laughs> and shutting down a whole lot of other things in order to do that, right? So again, we talked earlier about those early warning signs of the chronic fatigue and the irritability and all those things. But it goes deeper than that. And eventually your body will, you know, kind of lead to some metabolic adaptations in order to preserve basic organ function. So refeeding syndrome is a situation that can happen when, when the electrolyte balances and everything else in the body have kind of adapted, for lack of a better word, to this new state of normal, this new state of chronic underfueling, right? So what we have to do then is to make sure that we reintroduce things in a very logical and slow process. And I also want to add to this, we talked about earlier, it's, it's a psychological thing as well, right? For a person, especially in an exercise situation that has some food aversions that they have kind of come to through orthorexia, which is that obsession with, you know, extreme healthy eating. Um, so it's a psychological thing as much as it is a physiological thing. It's just an issue of making sure that we are refeeding in a responsible and slow and methodical way, which means, you know, reestablishing normal carbohydrate intake, normal fat intake. There would be some digestive issues that folks might experience some, some digestive discomfort in that process because we've also affected digestive enzymes and normal bile production and all of these other metabolic functions that are intrinsic and normal, but that the body will downregulate when we have just, you know, deprived it of what it is meant to do for so long. So it's just something to be aware of and something that should be done under the guide of a professional. If it is an extreme case, sometimes this has to be done in the hospital. But again, typically, these are not things that you or I would see in a, in a, you know, ambulatory coaching situation. These are things that you would typically see in a chronically ill person. But it can happen. And it is something that is important to be aware of with somebody that has a long standing history of underfueling. Yeah, that was a good one bringing up the gut issues. I didn't didn't even think of that one. But refeeding syndrome is the main one that comes to mind where you're throwing off the fluid yeah. and electrolytes that can be unfortunately mm -hmm. life-threatening. Um, but yeah, absolutely too. The gut health and motility and like, yeah, it makes total sense. It's a lot of digestive. I find a lot of digestive issues with folks that um, have kind of restricted their intake for a long time because you do, you do end up, this is why, again, why I love testing on gut stuff because um, if the, the GI map test that I run, I'll, I can tell you whether your pancreas is producing the digestive enzymes that you need in order to, you know, digest this food that's going in. So if you have folks that are having stool issues or motility issues or just chronic pain, you know, that a lot of times the doctor will just tell them, you have IBS, just learn to live with it. It may not be IBS. It may be that we're having some true gut dysfunction happening or some digestive dysfunction that the food's going in, but there's nothing there to break it down and absorb it and, you know, put it where it needs to go. So th th there's things we can look into and things we can try to figure out to help alleviate the process, but it's definitely something that we should anticipate in somebody who's been chronically underfueling. 
Yeah, so I know that we, um, what you just talked about were, I guess you could call them extremes, right? Especially when you think about hospitals and people who have been like underfueling for a long time. But for someone who maybe has intentionally gone into a cut to to lose weight and is going back to like reverse dieting, right? Like how does, does your process change? How does it change? And then like, you know, what are some other factors or things that you think about to make that a a better process because we know that if you restrict and like pretty severely um or even just something like a thousand calories which might be severe depending on how much you're intaking um and then put those back in immediately like there's there's ballooning that happens right you put on way more weight than than you were than you had before and it's like a pendulum it like totally swings the other way um so what are some things that you think about or what's your process like to make sure that that and is it any different than what you just talked about? Um, I would say it is simply because it's usually not a life-threatening situation in that case, right? We're not so much talking about the electrolyte imbalances and things like that. Um, but yeah, what you're saying happens all the time. The body will immediately rebound in the other direction when we've been you know, that chronically restricting or even not chronically, even if it's a, a subacute kind of situation, like you, you were in a three-month cut, right? But your three-month cut puts you down at... 12, 1400 calories and your normal intake should be a thousand calories more than that. That's a huge deficit. And again, the body is super efficient and it will slow down metabolic function. So at this point, we're probably looking at a reduced, you know, basal metabolic rate. So now you're eating a significantly higher amount. What I also always want to point out to folks, usually with an increase in calories like that, some of those calories at least are going to come from carbohydrate. And one of the main things that every single one of my clients freaks out, if you've been chronically restricting carbohydrate and we add in carbohydrate, you will gain weight, not because carbohydrates made you gain weight, but because a carbohydrate needs water to turn into glycogen in your muscles, right? We know this from muscle depletion. You know this from bodybuilders when they start doing their cut at the very end and they're way low on carbs and then they're dehydrated and we're just sucking all the fluids out of the muscle, right? Trying to keep the muscle pumped up for your show, but at the same time, you're trying to keep the body fat down. It's this, you know, this constant balance piece that they're playing. But so that's going to happen with a refeed in a person who has been chronically dieting for body fat loss. So we have to keep in mind that it's not, that the gain that happens isn't always going to be a fat gain. A lot of times it is a, a temporary rebound of rehydration and restoration of glycogen in the the muscle, which is normal and which is what we need. But in order to make that more palatable for the person that is, you know, has been, has been on this cut in order to reach aesthetics, slow is my, is my answer to your question. Slow, 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 super slow. Um, So sometimes that's, you know, we're increasing 20 grams of carb a day for a week, and then we maybe Mm -hmm. add another 15 and, and so forth. It just has to be a process where the exercise finds its balance so that we know what the expenditure is. And then we try to get close to meeting that expenditure need to eventually get to a maintenance phase, at least for a while, before we look at whatever the bulk phase or the next, you know, cut phase, whatever that is. But slow. (laughs) That's the key. Just slow. Minimize the rebound. You said it wasn't life-threatening, but I got to say, losing my abs back in 2014 was pretty life-threatening. So. <laughs> it felt, you felt pretty, pretty near your end there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, They're in there. Like, they're in there. The worst. They're still there. <laughs> if you can still walk upright, they're still there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes I can't. So yeah. <laughs> what do you got now? But yeah. It, How no, many IPAs I, is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when that uh, really, at this point, just two. I'm, I'm such a lightweight now. It's messed up. Listen, I'm still Uh, nursing my tea over here. So, (laughs) I think that that was a super great answer. And that's like, 
people I think want things to happen so fast, especially if you've you've been cutting for so long and you're like, yeah. fuck, I just want to have pizza and donuts and yeah. blah, blah. But it's like, hey, well, if you're planning on doing another show or just getting back to normal, it's got to be slow. It, your diet yeah. doesn't just end at your show. Like it, yeah. it continues on for 10, 12, 20 weeks, however long mm-hmm. until you're back to normal. Like yeah. it's not healthy or regular for you to be walking around at 3% body fat. So let's get you back to being a human. Um, And I'm a huge fan of not having like such a drastic swing in the off season either. Right. Sure. Folks then will go, cause then you, you have to go through this other drastic cut the next, Mm -hmm. you know, next time you hit a show. So you're, you're constantly doing this, you know, high and low and high and low and and folks can't keep the body can't keep up with that. You're eventually going to have some metabolic upset with that. So I'm, I'm a big fan of kind of keeping things, as close to normal as possible, doing the cut when that cut is necessary and then returning to a baseline that is sustainable. Yeah. And like one of my favorite fighters, shout out John Dodson. Uh, he, uh, every time we work together, he's like, yeah, I like to be within five to 10 pounds of my fighting weight because then it's easy. Like he yeah. never, he never worries about missing weight because he's like, I could lose this in, in two weeks if I yeah. really wanted to. Yeah. And, and in like, a healthier imagine, way, not doing like Yeah, in cuts. a much healthier way. Yeah. yeah. Imagine like training for I mean, sometimes they just get like an eight week call, like, hey, you're fighting in eight weeks, and they just bust their ass, but then you miss weight. Like, yeah. no way. And yeah. that's you lose your purse, you lose your yeah. maybe sometimes you can't fight. Like it's it's on it's horrible. But yeah. Yeah. Cool, very cool answers. Yeah, it, you killed it, Kirsten. I'm thankful you got to come yeah. on. And so, thank you guys for having me. Super. What fun. are like? Tell the people what you're doing right now for the holidays, and like what's going on in your world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So Brooke and I actually we're, we're doing some stuff together, you and I, which I'm super excited about. Um. So I do one-on-one coaching in for nutrition clients, telehealth online, which is uh, very uh, convenient for COVID. <laughs> I'm glad I was already yeah. doing that beforehand because that kind of worked itself out. Um. But I am taking new clients. If anybody's looking for clients or for um, a nutrition coach, I am definitely taking new clients. You can find me on Instagram at your fitness dietitian. You can also find me on the web at yourfitnessdietitian.com. Brooke and I are working on a pretty cool sort of holiday opportunity right now for um, coaching for one-on-one coaching for anybody who's interested in the weekly one-on-one coaching. If you commit for five months, we're going to throw in a six month for you. We're also working on a summit that we're going to put together. Rose actually going to be part of that. I'm super excited for that. Shout out. Yeah. Um, shout out. <laughs> we're working on a summit that we're putting together for February. And then we're also putting together some of our favorite goodies and resources and things. We're going to send those to you. So if you need a dietitian coach, Hit me up at your fitness dietitian on Instagram, yourfitnessdietitian.com. Looking forward to hearing from everyone. Yeah, and we'll link up all your info in the show notes too, so that we have all awesome. that. But I'm really excited. The summit's gonna be awesome. I might be a little biased because Rose gonna be there and um, we have a <laughs> we have our um, like mental health professional. I love that we're bringing in yes. someone. Um, to kind of attack that piece because so much of exercise and nutrition and that relationship with food and the gym is mental. Um, so I'm really, really excited for that. Yeah. It's going to be be good. We lost Nicole. She, it was past her bedtime. I know. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't, it wasn't that. that. It's it's past my bedtime. You guys are not kidding. It's not 20. I'm normally asleep at this point. You guys are special. I stayed up late for you. (laughs) Yeah. She wanted us to tell you, oh God, uh, that, 
Please tell Kirsten, uh, Kirsten, sorry. I'm sorry. She did so great. All her f- info was 100. Um, oh. Yeah, I don't know. She has somehow what? the jankiest Wi-Fi I've ever seen. So it just kind of threw her off. So. <laughs> That's what she tells you. We miss, she yeah, tells she, you. she was like, I'm pretty over this. <laughs> She's like popping no, more that wine awesome. that she made and stretched out or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad I got to meet her. That was awesome. Thank you guys for having yeah. me. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Of course, yeah, Thanks it was, for it was on. a lot of great info. Thank you for coming on. And yeah, we'll you know, have to do another we'll one sometime. Talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. But earlier, thank you everyone. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you everyone for listening. Um, send us questions like you always do. Follow us at Health Unfiltered Pod. Um, and I think that we're we're slated to do a um, a uh, questions. A Q&A like we did in episode four soon. So if you've been holding out a question, um, now's your time to to shine. Send that send that our way. Bob. Brooke, you want to head us out? Let's do it. Cue the music. <laughs>